how would I improve the wirehouse brokerage model? That is today's question on the Transition to RA question and answer series. It is episode number 67. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available to advisors. I have a, this whole episode series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers, uh, everything you can check out there, again, transition to RIA.com. And if you're not already listening to this in podcast form, again, for those of you that do like podcasts, you can search for the Transition to RIA podcast on all major, all major podcasting platforms. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the wirehouse model and what I would do to improve it. So the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I do put out a lot of commentary in, in my episodes and articles contrasting the wirehouse model and the RIA model. And it might be easy for me to sit back and, oh, criticize, oh, they should do this better. Or, oh, look how bad they do this and oh, how, how it's better in the RIA model, which it gener generally is. Uh, but I think it's only fair. And I do get asked this, okay, well, you got to critique that or you got to say the RIA model is so much better. What could be done with the wirehouse model to make it better for the advisors that, that are there currently. And, and of course, then the question is, do, does the management at the wirehouse firms have the, the appetite to make these sorts of changes? And obviously that will ultimately be up to them. But I did wanna go over uh, on today's episode, I have eight uh, suggestions of things the wirehouse firms could do to make their offering more attractive for their own advisors. And the, the reason I know or, or believe a lot of these uh, these improvements are, are needed because the, the lack of them currently is what's causing advisors to move to the RIA model. So from all the conversations I have with advisors and hear the frustrations and the motivations of why advisors want to make a change, that's kind of the background here. So again, we're going to talk about eight ways you could improve the wirehouse brokerage model. Uh, these are in no particular order, uh, but I did want to go through them on today's episode. So the first one, and this is almost me talking to the wirehouses, talking to the wirehouse management, is uh, the first one is think of your advisors as your clients. So what I mean by that is that the wirehouse brokerage model is a wonderful business model in, in theory on paper. It's, it's a very leveraged model that if you think about it, the wirehouse brokerage firms have to go out and attract and retain a few thousand advisors who in turn, those advisors go out and attract and retain a few million end investor clients. So that's a wonderfully leveraged business as the wirehouse firm that, hey, if we can just keep our advisors happy, and then they are the ones that are doing all the heavy lifting, they're the ones spending possibly years building relationships to, to earn that new client's trust. The advisor is the one that has to pick up the phone and, and call clients maybe when the market is volatile, whatever the case is, is the advisor that has to, to be there through the ups and downs and, and, and the, the challenges that that client has along the way. Uh, they, the advisor is doing all the heavy lifting. Hey, it's the wirehouse. We just need to, to keep our advisors happy. And, and it just doesn't seem like that's their mindset at all. They, they think of it as no, the end quote unquote client is our client of the wirehouse. 
the advisors are basically just this middleman service in them. And, and I would say that's not the case at all. Any advisor that's out there knows that's absolutely not the case at all. And so if Wirehouse has instead changed their attitude and said, hey, we are going to think of the advisor as our client. To, and we're going to, and, and so then the question is, what steps can we do differently? What steps can we maybe initiate that will make our offering all the more appealing for advisors to want to join our firm and just as important, stay at our firm. So every decision we make from a management perspective, compliance perspective, whatever the case is, should be through the lens of our advisors are our clients. And I would tell you that's absolutely not the mindset currently. It is more that the advisor is simply servicing the end client and the end client belongs to the, to the wirehouse firm. <clears throat> and in the RA world, this, this is how it works. The, custodians think of the RIAs that use their services as their clients, because that is the case. The custodian is essentially a solution provider, a vendor for the advisor. And so you'll hear custodians talking about, oh, our clients, and they are referring to the RIAs that use them. So every decision they make, they want to do it through the lens of, hey, is this going to help us attract and retain the RIAs that use our services? Again, wirehouses should be doing the same thing. Think of the advisor as the client. Uh, next is uh, assuming if they can get past number one is to then tell their advisor clients, hey, you are all free agents. If you ever wanted to leave, uh, you are free to do so. We will not get in the way and you are free to take your clients with you. Again, back to the, the, the prior point. And, you, and, and clearly that's not the case now. They put up all kinds of roadblocks, drop out of the protocol, whatever the case may be, uh, put in non-solicitation agreements. But, but think of how powerful that would be for a wirehouse to say, hey, we think of you as our clients and to the degree we never fulfill what you need to be able to service your clients and we are not bringing good value to you compared to the competition, you are free to leave. So guess what? We know we have to work day after day after day to continue to earn your business, to continue to have you stay with us because we know you are effectively a free agent. And if you ever wanted to leave, you could leave. And just think about the mindset, all the meetings behind the scenes and the, and the home office. And if every decision went through the process, again, of the advisor is our client. And oh, by the way, if we implement this change or we want to put something else in place we're not doing now, or we want to change the payout or whatever the case is, if the thought process had to be, wait, 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 if we do that, will that cause some of our, our clients to leave because they are free agents? And so if, they, if that flexibility is there for advisors to leave, they have to be much more sensitive to making those decisions, whereas now they purposely put up these this wall around the castle to try to keep advisors in. And so when they make those decisions, they don't have to be as sensitive to how that impacts the advisor. So if they change their mindset to the advisor is a free agent, the advisor can leave. We need to make decisions with the advisor's interests in mind. And yes, I know you still have to balance to a degree your, your shareholders, your employees, but I would tell you that that is not at all balanced right now. So at wirehouses, you should Consider your advisors free agents. They can leave if they want to. They can take their clients if they want to. And you, in turn, need to do everything you can to provide them a reason to not want to leave. That's just business 101. That should not uh, be, be a hard thing to get, your, to get your mind around of why that would be the best way to keep your advisors satisfied. Okay, 
Number three, uh, no, no more gimmicks with the payout. If you are going to claim that, uh, as an example, you look at a payout grid that, oh, this, this level of production advisor gets, so I'm just making up numbers, a 45% payout. But then in the next 20, 30 pages of the, the comp plan, there's all these gimmicks about what, how ways that's, that's actually going to be whittled down to, say, 40%. So if it's if it's if it's not really forty five percent because ah they're not going to hit these hurdles and oh we we do this over here so it's really forty percent we'll call it what it is if it's if it's forty percent call it forty percent and so the the example I often give that no one likes is if you go to a hotel and or you need a hotel room and you and you look online and you search and and you find some hotel you like and you see the room rate and okay it, it compares favorably to, to maybe other options and so you go and you book that and then you show up. And that's your that's what's in your mind. How, how much you're going to pay for the room night, and then it turns out there's a, a mandatory daily resort fee that's on top of that room rate, which by the way provides services you would expect to come with it anyways. You don't have any option; you have to pay this this daily resort fee, and that effectively increases the room rate. So that's the same thing with payouts. If, if you're going to call it, if you're going to put a nice little grid and it's going to say, "Oh, if I'm at this level, I, I get 45 percent," and then you're going to have all these different ways, it's it's really going to be 40 percent. That, that is not at all going to create satisfaction with advisors. It doesn't create satisfaction from hotels when they do it. So again, no more gimmicks with the payout. Make it very simple, very transparent. If it's 40%, call it 40%. Don't try to claim it's something that it's not. Okay, the next one, and this is related to what I just said about payouts, is not only to make your payouts non-gimmicky and more simple and more transparent, and again, Wow, maybe your advisor clients would, would actually like that. That would keep them more satisfied if you did that. You shouldn't make them have to read 30 pages of a comp plan to understand how they're going to be paid. Uh, but so let's say you did simplify it. I, 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 my next suggestion is take it one step farther and invert the payout. So what I mean by that is let's say there's an advisor and let's say it's simplified and the advisor is going to get 40% payout. What that effectively means, and I've talked about this in a lot of a lot of articles I've written or episodes on the, on the show here is effectively a 40% payout is you need to take the opposite of that, the inversion of that. So what that's saying is, hey, as an advisor, I'm out there, I'm working with my clients, I'm attracting new clients, I'm retaining my clients year after year after year. And for that, those clients are generating the commissions or fees for the solutions that, that I've helped them with. And so as an advisor, think about 100% of that coming to you. And by the way, that's, that's how it works in the RA model. 100% of it comes to you. However, there are certain uh, services and solutions you need as an advisor to be able to provide those services for your end clients. And that's, those are things that your wirehouse provides for you. So that is things like perhaps an office space technology for better or worse compliance support. And so in return for that, you, you do have to pay for that because your firm has hard costs associated with providing those services to you. And as a for-profit business deserves to be, to, to be able to make a margin on their business. And, and so that's where the payout comes in. But what I would challenge Wirehouse to do is invert that. So if that advisor is 40%, that what that really is saying is, hey, advisor, you're out there doing the hard work. You're bringing in the fees and commissions, and we are charging you 60% of what you're bringing in for these services that we provide for you so that you can, you can uh, work with the client, track the client, service the client, those sorts of things. And so if you start thinking about it that way, both as the advisor and the firm that, okay, we are charging you 60%. And by the way, hey, advisors, I always say you should 
you should convert that into dollars. Don't just think of that as percent. So whatever your production was for the past 12 months, take the inversion of your, your payout, convert that into dollars, and then say, hey, for the services that my firm has provided me, which they are, again, to, to, to give them credit, an office, maybe staff, health benefits, those sorts of things. And is the value of that worth this dollar amount of that 60% that I'm, I'm paying back to them? And so I think Wirehouse should just invert that and just as opposed to saying, oh, you get to keep 40%, whatever the case is, that same advisor should just be saying, hey, we, we charge you 60% of your production for the services we provide you. And, and if it was done that way, again, both the advisor and the firm would, would put a lot more kind of focus on the value that's being provided. So the firm would have to justify that amount of money year after year after year and say, hey, we are providing enough value to justify this price. And, and hopefully they are. And, and, and that number that you're paying them might be a very large number. And that's okay as long as they are providing you a lot of value. So there's nothing wrong with that, but make it more transparent and say, hey, you are the advisor. You are the one out there generating the fees and commissions. You keep 100% of that. Here's the services we provide for you. And here's what we charge you for it. Again, that's the inversion of the payout, a much more uh, clear way to be thinking about these things. All right, next up, number five, eliminate deferred compensation. So this relates to my saying, get rid of these gimmicks in the payouts. Uh, if, and, and, and let's even set aside the invert the payout just for, for explanation's sake, that if, if you're gonna tell someone, oh, they, they have 45% payout, but oh, five of that 45, we're actually gonna, whatever the case may be, we're gonna set that aside and defer that years into the future. One, that's a gimmick that no advisor likes. It doesn't satisfy any advisor doing that sort of thing. Um, and there's two ways to think about that. If they take your compensation, by the way, that you have earned today, and they are going to arbitrarily defer it into the future, you, you need to think long and hard about why how that has any uh, value to you as the advisor, or is that solely a handcuff me method by your wirehouse firm? And again, that is the exact opposite of them thinking of you as free agents and making decisions with your interests in mind as free agents. Instead, they are saying, we are going to artificially try to put handcuffs on you by taking some of your compensation that you've earned today and arbitrarily pushing that into the future. Now, that can sometimes come in two different forms. One, it's sometimes in, in stock. So they say, oh, we, we defer it. We put it in company stock. And so now uh, we are aligned of the growth of the company. And, and hopefully the value of that stock goes up over years. By the way, that, of course, doesn't always happen. It often can go down. Uh, and so it's, it's, in, it's in stock and you get it over this vest period of uh, four, five, six, seven years, whatever the case is. Well, that's effectively the exact same as handing out restricted stock units, RSUs. So a lot of uh, companies of any stripe will uh, incentivize their employees by saying, hey, we're going to pay you a salary or compensation or whatever of X. And by the way, we are also going to give you on top of that restricted stock units so that we are aligned and that we can, we can are both hopefully benefit from the growth of the company going forward. So if, if that's what the broker, or the wirehouse brokerage firms want to do is defer and put it into equity stock, we'll just call it what it is. You are handing out RSUs. So as opposed to saying, oh, advisor, you get a 45% payout, but then we're going to take some of it and, and, and lock it up in, in stock units. Just say, hey, be honest. Hey, we're giving you a 40% payout, 
but we're going to give you an extra 5% in, in RSUs, restricted stock units, and, and at least then it's going to be more sincere about what you're doing. Now, when the times that the deferred comp is deferred and, and just held in cash, and sometimes you might be able to invest in certain things, but not in company stock, I, I, I can't come up with any viable reason a firm should say that with a straight face that that's in your best interest advisors to say, hey, you've earned the money. We are going to just lock some of it up, the money that you have earned today and arbitrarily not let you access it for years into the future. I, I think if you're an advisor, you need to think long and hard about if, if that's in your best interest and compare that to how it's done in other models where that's not done at all. Uh, again, that is just the exact opposite of the free agent mindset that I keep talking about. Uh, so the next one, uh, number six, no forced cross-selling of, of maybe banking products or things like that. I've never met an advisor that got into the profession that is staying in the profession because they like hawking checking accounts or credit cards, or maybe even mortgages. Now, maybe they don't mind helping their clients solve for those needs in their life, but they certainly didn't sign up to be a salesperson for a, a credit card or anything like that. And so to wirehouses, I say, stop monkeying in the payout that, oh, if you don't, if you don't refer so many clients a year for, for banking solutions or whatnot, we're going to dock your payout. Now, I get why the wirehouses are doing it. Obviously, they're part of this bigger conglomerate with the bank and whatnot, and they and they that that will generate revenue for them. So I get why they're doing it, but don't force the advisor to do it. Don't penalize them if they don't want to do it. Instead, I'd say, okay, if these solutions are so valuable, if these this credit card and the and the the uh, the profile of the card and the options of the card or this checking account, if that's so valuable. Just make it known to your advisors that it's there for them to utilize with their clients if they want. And if, and if it is so valuable, advisors will do it. Advisors will be happy to say, hey, client, by the way, if you do need a new credit card, we have a wonderful solution or we, we have a wonderful checking account or a wonderful mortgage team or whatever the case is. But don't force advisors to do it. Don't punish them. If they don't want to do it, first of all, they shouldn't have to. And again, if your products are so good, like you, you often claim they are, then, then advisors would naturally want to just suggest them to their clients as part of their, their planning process that they do with clients. If you as a firm are, are forcing or penalizing your advisors to use these products, whatever the case is, then, then you need to really think about, okay, are the products even good enough right now? Why they, shouldn't they just be naturally an extension of the advisor's conversation? And either way, no advisor wants to be forced to do that or penalized not to do that Going back to satisfaction, the advisor, none of that adds to satisfaction from a forced cross-selling or penalizing anyone to do with cross-selling. So that, that has got to go. Number seven. Now, this one is, uh, I, will, I will give firms a pass that this is not an easy thing to implement, and that is to tier your compliance program. So what I mean by that is uh, a big frustration of the large firms, large wirehouse firms is often the that the fact that they do have to manage to the lowest common denominator. So if you are at a firm, let's say 15,000 advisors, you have some very experienced ethical advisors in there. And then somewhere, uh, well, and then you have some just lesser experienced advisors. That's, that's naturally going to happen as you, you bring on younger people. And then, and then, of course, you have some bad apples buried in there somewhere. You don't know who the bad apples are just yet. And so instead, 
Firms have to set up compliance programs that manage to the lowest common denominator that they often don't even know who it is yet of, of lower experience, uh, maybe unethical, whatever the case is. So you have these, you have these kind of this dumb and down of the compliance and the restrictions on all of the advisors are, are all the same. And so what I would challenge wirehouse firms to do, and I, I get this is not easy, is to come up with, with maybe two tiers of compliance that says, hey, there's certain baseline rules, there's regulations out there that it doesn't matter how long you've been in the, the industry, whatever the case is, it, it's black and white. You can't do it. It's, it's, it's one way or the other. We don't even have any flexibility, even if we want to have flexibility. So I get that. So there's baseline rules everyone plays by. But then you can maybe say, hey, if you have more, and I don't, I don't know what the numbers offhand would be best, maybe it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. Hey, if you have this sort of tenure, we then align you in this bucket over here for some of the, the things we, we either do or don't allow you to do. And, and folks with less experience are still in this bucket over here. And so accept the fact that someone with 20 years experience is probably less of a risk to you as a firm than someone with two years experience. Now, everyone had to start somewhere. So that's not a knock on the, on the advisor with two years experience, but you, you have to start somewhere. And so I would say, could you look at your compliance uh, program, your policies and procedures and, and separate them into a bucket and say, okay, advisors that have been with us, particularly that stayed with our, our firm for a long time and have been in the industry, maybe you have no blemishes, we're not going to be as restrictive on, on where we do have flexibility because we understand the chances of you going off the guardrails are a lot less perhaps uh, than these folks over here, which maybe still need some, some tighter guardrails. And so we are going to have two kind of tiered systems. And then of course, the goal for anyone on the, the baseline, which is what effectively everyone's doing now. So it's not like they would be punished or step backwards or anything, is to say, hey, I want to essentially graduate my career out of that where I have some more flexibility. Because the reality is if advisors go to the RA world, a lot of them want that more flexibility. And there's all kinds of examples I could give of what advisors can't do at wirehouses that they can do in the RA world, not because there's some regulation that doesn't allow them to do it, the wirehouse model. It's just their firm can't get around it from a compliance uh, program perspective and they're managing to that lowest common denominator. And so, hey, maybe if you could find a way to give a little more flexibility to, to advisors that have demonstrated a track record, a tenure that they can handle it, there'd be less, there'd be less dissatisfaction and less interest if your advisors go into the RA model because they do want that more flexibility. So consider how that might be done, wirehouse firms. Is could you tier your compliance program to essentially acknowledge the more experience that some advisors have over others. Uh, and then the final one, uh, which is, I'll just say it right away and then I'll, I'll talk about it, is to acknowledge, this is Wirehouse's, acknowledge that your advisor owns the end client relationship. Now, meaning, hey, again, this goes back to, hey, uh, Wirehouse, you should think of your advisors as your clients and the end client is, is the client of the advisor. And, and what I'm suggesting with this final point here is not only should you do that, you should say, advisor, we explicitly acknowledge those are your end clients. They are not those of the firm. So client, if, again, I talked about earlier, if you ever wanted to leave, and by the way, we know you're free agents, so we work day to day to try to give you reasons to not ever want to leave. But if that, that circumstance ever came to be, we acknowledge the end client are your client's advisors, and we're not going to get in the way of that. We're not going to try to steal them from you or retain them against your wishes, whatever the case is. And, and here's the thing, Wirehouse, I, I don't care if you disagree with me on this. 
This is how advisors already feel. Advisors at your firms already feel that their clients are their clients. They don't think of as, oh, no, those are the firm, firm's clients and I'm just some, some middle person servicing the relationship along the way. So the advisors already feel that way. You might as well get credit for wirehouses for acknowledging it and saying, hey, we acknowledge what's happening anyways. And instead, we'd rather acknowledge it and say, what can we do, advisor, to make you even more satisfied so you stay with us and you keep your clients on our platform as well? If that was the mindset of Wirehouse, I think you'd see in the changes that are implemented and the policies that are in place, I think you would, you would have much more satisfaction on the Wirehouse world if that was the mindset. I realize there's a lot here that is a far away, a long way away from happening. But the, the reality is this, this would lead to better satisfaction on the, on the, uh, for the advisors at Wirehouse Firms. And, and two advisors, I would say, you know, the, the example I give is no uh, employee at just, you know, whatever company that's salaried or an hourly employee, no, no one ever gets a raise, if you will, without asking. So if you're just sitting there at whatever company and you're an hourly employee, and, and you really want to raise, but they're not just going to necessarily walk up to you one day proactively and say, hey, we're going to give you a raise. Congratulations. Or, or whatever the case. Usually you have to ask for it to cause them to make, uh, to come back and, and perhaps with, with some action. And so what I would suggest to you uh, advisors that are at wirehouse firms now is your wirehouse is not going to implement any of these eight items I just talked about unless there is pushback, unless there is request for it unless your voice is heard. So I do suggest if any of these resonate, you go back and say, hey, why can't it be done this way? Why can't we change it to, to, to a different approach? Um, because otherwise they're not gonna change if, unless you bring up these issues and, and express your voice. And, and to the degree this doesn't sit with them or they don't change. And, and unfortunately for advisors in that situation, I, I'm not holding out hope that a lot of this is going to change. I think uh, it, the wirehouses will feel, nope, this is, this is how we do it. Even if that stuff makes sense, well, that's not how we do it. And we want to lock our advisors in. Of course, they would come up with some word salad ex explanation of why all of these things are not correct and how they're, they're aligned with your interests. So I just don't think a lot of change is going to occur. But if you don't ask, it will never potentially occur. So I do encourage you to, to ask for some of these items. And to the degree they don't deliver on that, again, that's why there's such a big migration to the RA model, why advisors are unsatisfied and are leaving for that better economics or the better flexibility that the RA model can deliver. So I encourage you to think about today's topics, voice, uh, express your voice to the degree that is not resonating or there's no hope of anything changing. And then you got to say, hey, is there maybe a different path where these things are more aligned with how I want to run my practice and, and work with my clients? So with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RIA. Uh, and this is the sort of thing I help advisors with all the time that perhaps in this case, if you're at a wirehouse firm is understanding, okay, how are things done at your firm now? And how does that compare to how they're done in the RIA model? And, and would you have more flexibility? How would that flexibility look? Would you have better economics? And, and really help you understand the contrast and then to the degree that it does make sense for you to maybe consider, hey, maybe that is a, a better path for me. Uh, then, then I also walk you through, okay, well, let's go through the steps of what it would take to actually transition to that model, move your practice, move your clients into that sort of model uh, and, and how it all works. So 
Uh, happy to have that conversation with you for sure. Uh, if you head to transition to RIA.com, again, you can find all of my videos, my podcasts, my articles, uh, my white papers. Uh, but the easiest thing to do is at the top of every page is a contact link. If you click on that, you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me to go over this exact sort of topic of, hey, here's where my practice is. Here's the firm I'm at now. Here's what I do or don't like about them. How would that be different in the RIA model? I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.